Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello. Hello, Jen. You know what I'm doing? What are you doing? I decided for Mother's Day. I wouldn't buy my mother something. Uh I'm going to make her something. So I bought a $5 creative clay kit to make jewelry. Uh How's it going? I've stared at the box. Okay. I've read the instructions. You make it and you bake it. How hard is this? Um, Creatively, I could say it could get real fucked up sometimes. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking. I don't think it'll end up being jewelry. I'll like make a a jewelry holder. Ooh, that's a good thing. I'm like, I always, I always like the practical gifts. I like a practical gift. But I'm like, I'm going to try this for $5. Ah, that's a good idea. And, you know, it's a, for $5. It's a good amount to try on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so we'll see how it goes. Nice. I am taking my last assassin snail today back to the fish doctor so I can move some of my mystery snails over because they be fucking. So they, <laughs> Cassie's they probably like, don't want to they don't want to sell you a snail right these people yeah i'm telling you cassie's like then you have aphrodisiac in your water for snails i was like they make babies okay and i gotta take them to the donate them to the local fish store jesus you, <laughs> yeah you're breeding these i for am them. and I, I don't mean to they can have them <laughs> i just i love professor pink i love barbarella I, that's it <laughs> <laughs> What do you got today? I have um, a serial killer currently out on parole here in Michigan. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You've got the mystery one, right? With the surprise Yeah, I have the disappearance of Bernice Gray. Ooh, tell me about Bernice Gray. Okay. Uh, Bernice Gray is from St. Clair Shores, and this happened in 1991. Okay. We like the 90s. I'm in the 70s for mine. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah even before De- i was born <laughs> uh on december 26 1991 bernice she was age 23 at the time had dropped her daughter off at daycare around 6 30 in the morning and was never seen again bernice was described as a reliable employee who showed up for her shifts early than her start time and when she didn't show up her her work shift the her work got worried and contacted her boyfriend Robert Payne and that's with two n's p-a-n-n okay pan maybe pan pan maybe the employer left a message and when Robert returned their call around 8 30 a.m he said he believed that she had overslept at her mom's house And her work then contacted her mother. Uh Bernice was reported missing and the investigation began. Did she she actually stay with her mom? Do we know she actually stayed with her mom that day? I don't know. Okay. I I think so. Okay. There's some things to lead you to believe that because there was a fight. She had moved out. Okay. So there was a fight around Christmas time. Okay. So, but nothing in none of the M Live 
articles could I find that that was true. And I couldn't find what happened when they contacted the mother, like what she said or anything. It just went from their work, her work was contacting the mother and then the articles pick up with the reporting missing. Okay. So she was reported missing and the investigation began. And on December 30th, her vehicle, which was a blue Pontiac, was found in Detroit abandoned. Her keys on the floor and her purse with wallet were also found in the vehicle. Oh, shit. When, when searching the car, they also found two bullet casings and one spent bullet on the front seat. Wow. No, no fingerprints, but there was blood splatter. Oh, fuck. Experts said the blood was hers. And the splatter showed either a shot in the head from the side or the back. Okay. And that's going to be important. Okay. Later on. Is it she either got shot from the side or the back? Okay. The person of interest was, of course, her boyfriend. Yeah. One reason mentioned in news articles was because he owned construction equipment. This is... It seemed like he was a contractor. Okay. And so they believed, you know, it would be easy for him to dispose of the body. Okay. So I gathered a timeline from all the MLive news articles I could find. And so in 1987, the two started living together. Okay. In 1990, she applied for housing assistance. So investigators believe she was thinking about making plans on moving out Okay. at that time. In 1991, she actually called the housing department and asked to be prioritized, stating her current housing situation had turned into a domestic violence situation. Oh. During this year, 1991, her boyfriend also kicked her out of the house for a period of time. Shortly before her disappearance, she moved out of the house with her boyfriend. Okay. Two days before her disappearance, Robert proposed to her and she turned him down. Good girl. And one day before her disappearance, her and Robert got into a fight. Okay. So then now the day of the disappearance. On this day, Robert went to the store where he purchased the engagement ring and returned it. The store told investigators that they remembered him because he had tracked mud into the store. Okay. And then her uncle claimed that Robert actually talked to him and Robert told him that he knew she was dead. So he made that statement. Really? True true or not, who knows? Okay. Robert's alibi was that he was working on an emergency repair job at the time. He stated the repair was digging by hand a nine foot hole. And he made a point to say by hand. Uh-huh. I think be because of all the muddy tracked in that yeah. it would take, but he claimed it was just because it was near a sidewalk. So all this is important. Okay. Okay. Because when they talked, the police went to check his story out and the customer 
said, gave the story, but it was a bit different. The customer said it was a routine job. He was there in the morning and afternoon. Mm-hmm. The job was actually to fix a nine-foot crack in a basement wall. Okay. Ber- Bernice was never found. Um, but there's a bo- uh, little bit more to Robert. So okay. this is interesting. So I found on the Charlie Project website that Robert had at least a dozen things on his criminal record, Um, filing false police reports and an attempted murder charge. Oh. And this attempted murder charge was of his ex-wife. Okay. Yeah, that he was convicted of and was sent to prison. When I looked it up in Otis... Uh-huh. The offense was assault with intent to do great bodily harm, less murder. And the offense happened in 1996, oh. which shortly after his disappearance. Yeah. And for that, he was sentenced to six to 10 years. And he had a second charge of felonious driving, which he was sentenced to one to two years. Okay, so in 2000, while I believe still serving his sentence for the attempted murder on his ex-wife, I I couldn't confirm that, that he was still in prison, but I'm pretty sure he was. Okay. Because in Otis, it says, you know, his sentence was transferred. Okay. So I think he was still in prison. Okay. wife and the police decided even with the circumstantial evidence they were going to charge Robert with Bernice's murder okay and it said the that in one of the MLive articles that when he was charged with the murder Robert asked who snitched on me oh no shit but what I thought was crazy about the situation is that the state used the similarity of his attempt on his ex-wife in trial. With his ex-wife, he sat hidden in the back seat of her car and then attacked her while driving. No. And they said for Bernice, he hid in her car and then attacked her while she was at a stoplight. Oh, no shit. He was found guilty and received life for homicide, murder, first degree, premeditated, and two years for weapons, firearm charge. So that's why when they said the blood splatter was either from the side or the back, that's why Mm. that's important because, okay, you did this to your ex-wife. You hid. So completely possible that you were hidden in the back seat and you shot her. Yeah. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So he's in prison. For so life. he's in prison. Yeah. But oh. it's like, did you, did you actually kill your girlfriend yeah. or ex-girlfriend at the time they were in a fight? Who knows? Yeah. But, and then realize you got away with it. That's what I was thinking. And then decided, you know what? I'm going to try it again. I'm going to yeah. try it on my ex, which it failed. 
You didn't kill her. Yeah. Holy shit. And then I thought, who in their right mind, because you're, you're going to plead not guilty, is going to look at a police officer arresting you and say who snitched. So you I did know. it. So dumb. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like absolutely amazed. Like yeah. you actually. That's just so dumb I... of you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. I also have a snitch on here. So he's a paroled murderer. His name is Brent Coster. I, like I said, I saw him through that TikTok and I was just, I sent it to you. Like I have to look this up and I'm glad I did. So he was 14 years old in 1972 when he ran away from home in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And his mother suffered from schizophrenia and his father was a neglectful alcoholic. So Brent met Danny Rains, who was a 28 year old divorcee at the time through his friends, um, through his mom. So his mom's friend was dating him and that's how he meets him. Right. Okay. Okay. So Danny grows up. Danny also grew up in an unstable home. His dad was really violent and made him and his brother fight and fight other people. And in our next episode, I'm going to talk about Danny and Larry Rains, who is Danny's brother. They're both serial killers. Danny kills more people than I mentioned in this episode, and I'm going to mention it in the next one. So in the next episode, I'm going to talk about the other people that Danny kills, and then I'm going to talk about the people that Larry killed. But, in this, but this one, we're going to focus on who, who Brent and Danny killed together, okay? Okay. The 14-year-old and the 28-year-old. So Brent, Brent and Danny, they meet. So Danny's in jail all the way to like February, January, February of 1972. Brent and Danny meet uh, about May, June of 1972. And by July 6th, there were two teen girls, Linda Clark and Claudia Bishop. They were both 19 years old. They pull into a gas station where Danny worked. It's around 1 a.m. And while Brent filled the tank, Danny told him, you know, pop the hood. I'll look underneath like they used to do back in the day. And instead, what he did was loosened up a spark plug wire. So the car's engine starts to run a little bit poorly. And he tells them, hey, pull into the auto bay here in the gas station. I'll check it out. So once in the building, Danny assaults the two girls. He pulls a knife and tells them that he won't hurt them if they stay quiet. And he made them get in the car and he drove them around to the back of the station where no one could see them. And one of the males would stay with the girls while the other one would still assist customers until the gas station, their gas station shift was over. So Brent Whoa. saw, I know that, that is one part I really like. I'm like, you are so fucking evil that one of you is still helping people while the other one, you know, is actively torturing two young women. Yes. So Brent saw Danny rape Linda and he told Brent that he had also raped Claudia. So then Brent rapes Linda and Danny told Brent that it was time to quote, taste the medicine. And Brent tries to kill Claudia by strangling her with a rope. But Claudia was struggling so hard that, you know, against Brent, that Danny had to help murder her. And then Brent kills Linda by himself. So Brent has killed two women. Twice his hands were on them. Twice they died, right? Mm-hmm. Brent, Brent and Danny, they put the bodies of Linda and Claudia into the backseat of their car. And Brent then drove the car to Galesburg, Michigan. And he puts a gas-soaked blanket over them in the back there before throwing a lit cigarette into the car floor. He doesn't stay to see if it's lit and he hitchhikes back home. So exactly a month later on August 6th, Brent and Danny saw Pamela Fear now. She was an 18 year old student at Western Michigan University. She's hitchhiking. She was picked up and then she was threatened with a knife by the two men. They take her to one wooded area where they tie her up 
and they cover with her a sleeping cover up with a sleeping bag in the back of the van. They both rape her. They tie her up again. They take her to a second wooded area. Both the men, they drink beer. They give Pamela a glass of wine. Then the two men take Pamela to a third wooded area where she begins to struggle against them inside the van. Danny punched her in the stomach, but she kept yelling. So Brent puts a plastic bag over her head, suffocating her. And he secures the bag. Yeah, and he secures the bag with a, uh, a, neck, uh, a rope around her neck. So this is the third time Brent has raped a woman and suffocated her with the rope around the neck, right? He, he chokes yeah. her out. He kills them. This is the 14-year-old. They pull Pamela's body out of the van and they leave her. Now, at this point, Danny sees a police cruiser, which causes Brent to run away. And Danny pulls far enough away from Pamela that he doesn't seem suspicious. Nobody sees the body. And after checking his ID, the officer lets him go. So Brent and Danny, can you believe that, how close they were? Yeah. Yeah. So Brent and Danny, they come back the next day to move Pamela's body to a more secluded area. And Brent saw that there was a second rope that had been tied around Pamela's neck. And so he guesses that maybe Danny had done it to her after he murdered her uh, um, with the first rope. So the two were arrested, actually, just under a month later on September 4th. They were suspects in the double homicide of Linda Clark and Claudia Bishop after their car was found. Because remember, he didn't check to see if it caught on fire. And the the police began to check around to different service stations because they noticed the girls have a full tank. So they start to check around and they find Danny has a record with another abduction on it. Uh, And um, also he has a uh, charge on there. He threatened a couple with a gun. So they knew that this dude could possibly, you know, be violent. They find out that he's been hanging out with this 14 year old kid named Brent. They start to question Brent because they know also that the two of them have been seen at the gas station together. And once Brent is questioned, he gives all the details of every rape and murder when he's offered a deal. So they offer a deal that will allow him to have parole in the future. So in Michigan, when you're convicted, when you're convinced, uh, convinced, <laughs> you can be convinced, but you need to be convicted. <laughs> when you're convicted of first degree murder, you're sentenced to forever jail. You never get out. Brent was charged with one single fucking count of second degree homicide and found guilty. He is the guy that raped the women. He is the guy that physically had his hands on every woman to kill them. And he gets one count of second degree homicide and he's found guilty. So despite being in jail since September of that year, Brent actually doesn't cooperate and tell the detectives where Pamela's body is until like mid-October. And she had been reported missing, but they had, you know, they had to be able to find her. And at this point, she was so decomposed, they had to identify her through dental records. Now, Brent Coster who is 64 years old, is now out on parole. He was released January 21st, 2021. And they did have him register as a sex offender, despite not being convicted as one. And the victim's surviving family are absolutely outraged at the parole um, decision. Because let me tell you why. I too feel a little bit pissed off. If you, in all his things, like the lady for the parole board said, oh, he's very intelligent and he helps people and he's been working as a paralegal and we feel like he's really turned himself around. But that motherfucker, when they asked him about it, he kept saying, um, you know, I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't with Danny. I was basically, you know, it was my environment and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but you raped those women and you have to want to rape them in order for that to work. And right. you physically strangled them to death. And it takes a long fucking time to strangle someone to death. We talked about this before. You don't just hold someone by the neck for five seconds and they die. That's not how strangling works. 
So like you literally strangled three people to death. You raped them. You kidnapped them. You took them, you know, against their will. And you motherfucking, and you keep saying it was just because of like the, you're in you're the influence of the people around you. I fucking hate that. Yeah. Yeah. He's 64 too. So <sighs> he's yeah. out. He's out for a minute. So next week I'll tell you about the other people that Danny killed. And I'll tell you about who his brother Larry killed. <laughs> Murders. Not together though. Separately. <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, we've done other cases where these murderers, they'll do things like, like they did. They're Mm going to take time to soak a blanket. Yeah. They're going to cover up. They're going to light it on fire, but they don't wait to see. Right. Like they half ass it. Yeah. It's always, it's always something. And I have to give it to the fucking cops in 1972. They're like, okay, they have a full, we found the car, it's a full tank of gas, they must have got gas somewhere, let's start checking local gas stations, see who might be good for it. And I was like, holy shit, that actually worked. And when I tell you about the his brother Larry getting caught, Danny's brother, same thing. The cops were like, okay, they fucking used math to find his ass. All right. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yes, I can't wait to tell you. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later, Jen. All right, bye. All right, bye.